Well, hey, Heritage, want to welcome all of you, each of our locations here at Rock Island, out of Bettendorf, those joining us online. This is the time of year where school starts back up, weather starts to change, football starts gaining ahead of steam, and we know that all means that summer's coming to a close and fall is just around the corner. But before we hit that time period, I just, I just got to say, this summer, it has been spiritually significant for us as a church. If we, even if we just consider that since May 1st, we know of at least 91 people have made first-time decisions for Jesus. 91. That doesn't count those we don't know, nor the people who have made recommitments to be more intentional in that journey. Even just this month, we've baptized 81 people, and we're expecting to baptize 50 more this afternoon at our makeup date for the river baptism. That is God moving in big ways among us as a church. And that's exciting. I mean, if that doesn't stir your heart, you're missing the reality of what God is doing among us as a people. He is moving in big ways. And this weekend, we're continuing in our global outreach emphasis and faith promise emphasis. And normally, we take two weeks to have this conversation. But this year, we're taking four weeks to do that to position us to understand more fully our 12-month focus. To ultimately live into the lifelong reality that everything we do is mission. So what we're doing in Go Be Love is that we're taking four weeks to be in a series that positions us to understand a 12-month focus with a lifelong application. Now, the four-week series is divided into four key areas, four things. They, they, all of them focus on the reality that love is greater. And they're around love is greater than bondage, love is greater than apathy, love is greater than despair, and love is greater than injustice. And we've prepared and provided a Go Be Love booklet that has great information uh, about some of those concepts, about partners, about initiatives, but it is also a prayer guide. Because this isn't just about a four-week series. It's a 12-month focus with a lifelong application. And if you don't have one of these, I want to make sure you grab one, get one. You can even go to heritageqc.com, and under the Partner tab, you can download an electronic version of that document. Now, one of the tempting things that we can stumble into in a global outreach conversation is to simply look at this conversation as about two things, that it's about money, and projects. But listen, it's not just money and projects. This conversation is about mission and purpose. This isn't just about money. This is about joining a holy God in work that he's already doing. This is about coming alongside the journey of transformational work in the lives of people. This is not just a conversation about money, but about faithfulness and obedience. And if we look at this conversation as, as just something where we're just asking money, we miss the bigger picture. It's like looking at exercise and saying it's just about creating pain. Some of you are like, amen, that's all that is. No, no, listen, thinking people know that exercise when done properly is good, and there's maybe discomfort in it, but it leads to strength, it leads to health, more energy, vitality. If we think it's just about pain, we miss the bigger picture. I love the imagery of when Christopher Wren, when he, he's the guy that, that designed the St. Paul's Cathedral in London, one of the most beautiful buildings in the world. He did this really cool thing. During the construction process, he went down and interacted with the workers, and he recorded their responses to the question, what are you doing? And he found that those who were bored, those who were frustrated, those who were tired, grumpy, they would say things like, I'm just laying brick, I'm just carrying stones. But he found a guy who was mixing cement who had a very different attitude. He was upbeat, he was cheerful. And he said, what are you doing? And this guy said, I'm building a magnificent cathedral. 
I love that. I love that. And if we look at this conversation as just asking for money, all we see is bricks. And we position ourselves to look at people as projects rather than central to our purpose. This is a a journey that is about mission and purpose. And we're not the only ones to to struggle with missing the bigger picture. In fact, there's, there's multiple examples of that in Scripture. And one of the best ones, I think, comes from when Jesus healed the man at the pool of Bethesda. And this is not in your note guide, and this is not going to be on the screen. I just want to summarize what happened in this moment. See, Jesus is walking along, and he comes across a guy who's been an invalid for 38 years. 38 years. And he's sitting by a pool that he believes has healing power, that when the water's stirred, if somebody gets in, they're healed. And, and so Jesus says to him, said, dude, you want to get better? You want to get well? He's like, yeah, I really do. But every time the water is stirred, I try to get in, and somebody cuts in front of me, and I can't get there. And Jesus says, man, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. And in an instant, he's healed. It's a miracle. But this was the Sabbath. This was like Sunday, and there were rules of what you could not couldn't do. And so some Jewish leaders nearby saw the man carrying his mat, breaking the rule. And he says, hey, this, they said, this is the Sabbath. You're forbidden to carry your mat. And what blows my mind in that moment is they miss the big picture. In, in a moment when, when bondage and apathy and despair and injustice are all overcome by the love of Christ in one single moment, all these guys see are bricks. They can't see the miracle past the mat. They look at the temporary, not the eternal. And they miss the bigger picture of the work that God was doing. And, and, and the, even the man himself missed part of it because he, he kind of tattles on Jesus. says, it wasn't me, it was that guy over there. But listen, love is greater. Love is greater. And because God is love, he sends us to be love. And it doesn't matter how people respond. He sends us into a world, a world marked by bondage, apathy, despair, and injustice, to be a people who bring his freedom, his compassion, his hope, and his justice. And if we think that this conversation is just about money, we miss the big picture. Because this is about mission. This is about our purpose. And so far in this journey, we've looked at two areas. Love is greater than bondage and love is greater than apathy. If you've missed those, you can go to heritageqc.com and you can catch up on those. But we're looking today at love is greater than despair. Love is greater than despair. So let's just for a moment pause and understand what despair is, at least by definition. See, here in the dictionary, this is what despair is defined as. Loss of hope, hopelessness, ness, hopelessness, not nessness, just oneness, to lose, give up, or be without hope. All right, that's pretty straightforward. I think that's something we can all wrap our head around. It's even something we've all kind of experienced at, at one point or another. But, but here's the deal. I think we've all either been in a place of despair in our life, or at least we've at least dipped our toes in the pool of despair at some point. We don't have to look very far to realize that this life is difficult, and we can find ourselves by our experiences stumbling into, jumping into, falling into places of despair. We've all faced hard things by our own hand or by the hand of somebody else. 
In fact, let's just do this in all of our locations. Just a moment. I want you to raise your hand if any of these scenarios apply to you. I want you to raise your hand and keep it up if any one of these scenarios apply to you. Here's the first one. If you've ever experienced loss, raise your hand. Keep it up, all right? If you've ever experienced betrayal, raise your hand. If you've ever experienced deep pain, raise your hand. If you've ever experienced illness, raise your hand. If you've ever experienced grief, raise your hand. Okay, keep your hand up. Look around. We don't have to look very far to see the reality that we have all faced hard things. Every single one of us. In fact, we could actually say that despair is not exceptional. It's not exceptional. It's not uncommon. It's not unusual. It's not unique to you and me. It's not new to this world. It's not exceptional. It's common. It's not exceptional. It's common. Despair is not exceptional. It's what? It's common. It's common. People of every stage and age background face it every day, partly because this world is a tough place to live. It really is. All kinds of hard things, painful things, bad things. And we have today the opportunity to get a unique look from one person's journey through the form or format of poetry. Today I've got a new friend to introduce you to. His name is CJ. And CJ is part of uh, one of our partner ministries, Youth Hope. And he wants, he's coming today to share through poetry from his own journey around this issue of despair. So I'd like you to just direct your attention to CJ and welcome him as we hear his part of the journey. May 12th. 2012. I got a knock on the door with the sounds of a worst-case scenario. My mom opened the door to a woman who had been dog-walked by the angels of death to tell me that my father was no longer on this earth. My mom turned to me and looked at me, and this is going to break his heart, crack the surface of her eyeballs. I knew it. I fell to my knees. I expressed my pain in the cushions of my sofa. My cries, that are, my cries that are a thousand shades of sorrow. If you stop time and open me up, my heart will part a thousand shades of why me, God. I sunk into the depression of a lifetime. But this time, life wasn't to blame. You see, I was one of those kids that never thought death would hit so close to home. Mommy and Daddy were always supposed to be there, no more than a phone call away. I tried to call my dad, thinking this is an unforgettable nightmare, but when I called, all I got was a hello. This is Cliff. I can't get to the phone right now, but if you leave your name and number, I'll be sure to get back to you. I broke. Because it didn't matter how many times I left my name or number, he would never be there to pick up his phone. Answer your phone. I cried, and I yelled, and I cried, and I yelled. He never picked up his phone. I was suffocating my heart with the sound of his voice. And my mom took the phone. I love you, and everything's going to be okay, wrapped around me and held me tight. I couldn't let go. My mom hadn't spoke, but she cried for me. She cried for me because she knew my eyes weren't strong enough to carry a lifetime of I miss you, Dad, in one night. She spoke to me. Go help your brother. In acceptance, I went to my brother's room with her mindset of Revelation 21.4, and he would wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there'd be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. But PJ, I love you, brother. I'm my little brother on his knees because at this moment there is death, there is mourning, there is crying, there is pain, there is why me, God written on the hole of my little brother's door, he hurts. 
For him, this is open heart surgery. For me, this is a big brother's emergency. His cut was deep, death. Carved this name into the outskirts of our foreheads. Judas meaning into our elbows just to let us know how funny you thought this was. Tell me, who decided that words never hurt? Because those three words, your father died, hurt us many, more than any object ever could, please. Death tore apart our hearts like shredder. Melted us so deep, I can't believe it's not butter. God, we need you to mend our hearts. Remind us that RIP doesn't just mean rest in peace, but revive in paradise. It's all up to you. PJ, Ayana, Taisha, Elizabeth, everyone who ever cared for him, help them. Because my father is still alive in our hearts. Let's keep him there. This world is a tough place, and we don't have to look very far to see circumstances that could lead us into places of despair. We've all experienced hard things, painful things, difficult things, bad things. Despair is not exceptional, it's common. We've all experienced that. But beyond the reality of difficult circumstances, there's another reason that despair exists and is propagated in life. It was not that long ago that we talked as a church about an important spiritual reality around the spiritual battle. And whether you've grown up in church or whether you're just checking out church for the first time, you recognize that there are things that are seen and unseen. You know that there is evil and good in both the physical and spiritual world. You don't have to see it to be able to sense it. But one of the key realities about the spiritual world is that there is someone who seeks to facilitate things like despair. They actually hate God, don't care a lick about us, but they try to influence our journey and our choices to hurt the heart of God. We know them as Satan, and as we've taken time as a church family to look at a primary pattern that the enemy uses, Satan uses, and I want to go back to just revisit it for a few moments because it ties back into the reality of despair. See, what Satan seeks to do is use things that we call the Ds. That would be like doubt, discouragement, deception, delay, and despair. To create circumstances through those Ds that position us to embrace a D, to embrace doubt, to embrace discouragement, to embrace despair. And the moment we choose to embrace a D, it leads us into one of three places. Into a place of isolation, into a place of fear, or a place of victim mentality. Once we embrace a D, we go there. But here's the deal. We don't go there just because something happens to us. We go there because we give these things power. And these are not the tools of God. These are the tools of Satan. Now, not every D is connected to a little string being pulled by Satan. We play our own part. <laughs> we do our own stuff with these. But this is a primary pattern by which he functions. For us to embrace a D, once we are in isolation, fear, victim mentality, his goal is not to keep us there. His goal is to run us through the cycle. Then in isolation, I'm afraid of what might happen to me, that I could become a victim of something, and so I isolate myself further. If I have experienced something painful and difficult, I feel like I shouldn't, I don't deserve, that shouldn't have been. I'm a victim. I'm afraid it's going to happen again, so I'm going to distance myself so it doesn't. His goal is to move us through a cycle, and it's a downward cycle that increasingly moves down and down and down until it reaches death. This is his pattern, and many of us have fallen into it as we've given it power, and we've, we've actually stepped away from truth. 
The way out of this is truth. If you want to know more about this, you can actually go to the end of the Acts Church on Fire series and hear more. But I come back to this because despair is something that we can embrace. When we embrace despair, we end up in this cycle. Or the reality is that we can embrace hope. We can believe. We can trust. That is hope. And, and the Bible is filled with powerful truth about hope. Here's just a few of them. Here's the first example of Scripture that says that hope deferred or hope delayed makes the heart sick. Listen, if you don't have hope, if we don't have hope, when I don't have hope, man, I feel rotten. <laughs> hope deferred makes the heart sick. But beyond that, next verse is that when the Lord delights, the Lord delights, he is, he is pleased, there is pleasure in those who fear him who put their hope in his unfailing love. When we choose hope, that brings joy and delight to God. One step further, that, that the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. Listen, the Bible is filled with truth about hope, and that's, all, that's great because we've all experienced circumstances that make us vulnerable to despair, whether it's the death of a parent, as CJ just shared, or whether it's some other painful, hard thing that we're experiencing. But as a sent people, we can change the trajectory towards despair to a trajectory of hope for us and for others. We can actually be agents of hope, but embracing hope requires us to move beyond just being hopeful. There's a classic story that deserves retelling that reminds us of the difference between having hope and being hopeful. See, it goes back to the story of an organization in Montana that offered a bounty of $5,000 for every wolf captured alive. So two hunters named Sam and Jed decided to head for the hills and make some money capturing wolves. So day and night, they scoured the mountains and forests searching for their vulnerable prey and valuable prey. Ex exhausted after three days of hunting, without any success, they both fell asleep. But during the night, Sam suddenly woke to find that he and Jed were surrounded by 50 wolves with flaming red eyes and bared teeth and snarling at the two hunters, preparing to pounce. And Sam nudged Jed and said, hey, wake up. We're going to be rich. <laughs> That's a classic joke. Listen, that is funny, but that's not having hope. That's just being hopeful. And those are two very different things. See, this story can push us towards understanding true hope, what it is, and, and what hope is not. Because hope is not a couple things. See, despite what many of us think, what, much of what we learn about hope in the Bible is, is out of hardship and difficulty, not ease and trouble-free times. Which is helpful to understanding what hope is. Because true hope, biblical hope, is not a couple things. True, biblical hope is not wishful thinking. That's your next fill-in if you're following along in the sermon note guide. Biblical hope is not wishful thinking. It's not based in simple desire or empty belief. It's tied deeply to faith. It's not wishful thinking. It's also not subject to circumstances. It's not subject to circumstances. Hope is apart from circumstances. It's, it's above them. And it's not dependent upon what happens to us or around us, but rather who is with us. It's not subject to circumstances. And thirdly, hope is not taken but forfeited. When we lack hope, it's because we let it go. There are many things people can take from us. They can take our car, they can take our job. But when it comes to hope, no one can take that. But we can forfeit it. 
we can give it up. And we do it nearly every time we embrace a D. A doubt, discouragement, despair. So, so all this means is that we have a choice. That, that hope comes from something other than our experiences because it's not about what we encounter, but who we follow. Because as Scripture reminds us in Romans 15, 13, our hope comes from God. He's the source. He is the God of hope. So biblical hope is not wishful thinking. It's not subject to circumstance. It can't be taken. It's not simple desire or empty belief. It's solid. It's concrete. It's real. It's tied deeply to faith. And here's another reality. Understand that, that where there is faith, there is hope. Where there is faith, there is hope. Hope is tied deeply to faith. And a lack of hope is often an indicator of a lack of faith. The author of Hebrews describes what faith is, and he did it this way in Hebrews 11. He said, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Now, a lack of faith always leads to a lack of hope. And faith and hope and love are so interconnected. It's actually the heart behind the faith promise commitment that out of faith that we place our hope in God and that we demonstrate our love for Him as we invest beyond ourselves out of obedience. Yet sometimes we can lose sight of where hope comes from. And it is so important to remember that hope is forfeited in circumstances, but it's acquired in trust. It's acquired in trust. Think about it this way. If we just take a moment to understand that as we go through life, as you and I, here we are, we're, we're cruising through life, we're walking down the road of life, and we encounter circumstances. And, and, and these circumstances can be good circumstances, bad circumstances, fun things, sad things, joyful things, painful things. We all experience different types of circumstances. But, but the reality is in those circumstances that some people in those circumstances can end up in a place of despair. But others in the same circumstances can end up in a place of hope. And the difference between ending up in dis, into hope or ending up in despair is really, really where we place our trust. It's where our focus is. The difference between having a journey marked by faith that, that leads to hope or one marked by fear or isolation and victim mentality that leads to despair is where we place our trust, where our focus is in the midst of those circumstances. Because when we place our trust or our focus on us, it is inevitable that we will end in despair. This world is so hard, so difficult, so painful, it is only a matter of time before we get there when we place our hope and trust in us. But when we place our trust and our faith in Him, then there is nothing in this world that can overcome the hope that He provides. Two totally different outcomes from the same sets of scenarios and circumstances. See, hope is forfeited in circumstances, but acquired in trust. And if you're struggling with despair right now, you hear this and you may be feeling and thinking, you know what, this doesn't matter. I'm down at the bottom. I'm struggling out of my circumstances. I feel despair. And listen, it's normal to be there. It really is normal to be there. Because when we embrace despair, we start to believe what despair says. And despair says things will always be this way. Despair says that you have no other options. You can't change it. You're powerless. There is no hope. 
And it creates great focus on us. It makes life about us. But the hope of God lifts our eyes so that we know it's not about us. It's not just for us. It's actually beyond us. Yet when we embrace despair, life becomes just about surviving. The idea of thriving in life is thrown out the window. We resign ourselves to the inevitable and we end up giving up. And we miss our God-given life-changing purpose. But listen again to what Paul prayed for those in Rome from a different translation in Romans 15, 13. Let's check it out again. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with what? Oh, come on. Overflow with what, Bendorf? There we go. Listen, overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, listen, look, you may remember this diagram. This is a diagram we've looked at as we've been walking through the series in a couple other weeks. This is our two-gap diagram that we understand that, that, that we're made for a relationship with God, but because of sin, there's a gap. And, but God so loved us, he positioned Jesus to live and die and rise again so that we can have life and relationship with God through Jesus. We can be saved, and we can know God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we're empowered by the Holy Spirit because our salvation isn't just about us. It's about being empowered to go and live sent so that we can position others to make this decision. We need to build bridges because there's a second gap. That second gap is a relational gap, religious gap, racial gap, language gap, you name it, all kinds of gaps. But we're called to build bridges over those gaps. Now listen, that empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we talked about it in our Church on Fire series. The Holy Spirit sets us on fire. Because our salvation is not just about us. It's about living sent. And it means that we can be filled to overflowing. Overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because our hope, the hope that he offers is not just about us. It actually means that we can be positioned to go and do this. We get to do this. We get to be part of this. When we do this together, man, things break loose. But when we pull our resources together, there's an exponential ripple. Things are transformed. This is something we get to do by the power of the Holy Spirit as a people who are marked by hope. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing. Romans 15, 13 is talking about that filling of the Holy Spirit that empowers us with an overflowing of hope in a world that can be so difficult and painful. We get to do that reality. And when we do it, we get to see the transformation of the whole person. We can see whole communities transformed, whole cities transformed by the whole gospel. It's a wonderful, beautiful thing because Christ did not just die, he rose again. And it's the power of the resurrection, the reality of the resurrection that gives us the ability to be a people marked by hope, who know that restoration, who know that reconciliation are always possible when Jesus is at the center of those relationships, especially second gap relationships. Now, here's the other cool part about this whole hope reality. That when we stop thinking about ourselves, hope grows. In fact, we could say that hope is cultivated when our perspective is bigger than our circumstances. When we stop thinking about ourselves, hope grows in both directions. Those who need that hope are, receive it and benefit from it, but we too have a greater sense of hope. And I got to tell you, I long to see the full potential of people and communities developed as we as a church cultivate hope. When, when we choose to trust and put our faith in Him, as opposed to letting circumstances pull us down and embracing the D of despair, 
But that means we need to choose hope. We have to reject despair. We have to trust in him. No matter when we can't, when we can't see it all, we choose faith rather than fear. And then we help lead others out of despair. That's one reason why, why Peter, one of the disciples of Jesus, wrote in 1 Peter, he said this. He said, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Always be prepared. But do this with gentleness and respect. My friends, that's second gap ministry. That's the second gap right there. Always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. And hope is cultivated when we move from a perspective bigger than our own circumstances. Yet, we can let circumstances in our lives, even in the lives of others we love, drive out hope and limit love. It happens all the time. People make mistakes that, that impact us. We experience a loss, like the loss of a parent. We, we make poor choices, or others make poor choices. And all that can create a space where we let circumstance shape what love should define. In fact, just consider it this way. I'm going to ask you this question, and we can wrestle with this this week. Where are circumstances shaping what love should define? Where are circumstances shaping what love should define? Maybe it's relational issues in the home. You've got tensions with your kids, and therefore circumstances are shaping what's happening rather than love. Maybe it's in your workplace. You've got financial tension, and so circumstances are shaping the decisions rather than love. Where are circumstances shaping what love should define? Could be challenges in school. Think about it. Where in your world, where do you see despair taking hold and hope fading? In your life, or maybe it's in the life of someone that you know. See, God wants to use you for good. He wants to pull you out of despair and then have you turn around and help others be pulled out of despair. And it was Paul, this guy we keep talking about, who, who very early in his journey created hardship and pain and moments for, for despairing among God's people, would later, after he do, chose to follow Jesus, would write in 1 Corinthians 13 this. He said, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Always. Always. That's one reason why love is greater. No matter what you're facing today, love is greater. But the truth is, it doesn't usually happen overnight. People and families and communities and cities don't recover from a lack of love instantaneously, short of a divine miraculous moment that Jesus can provide. Typically, it's a long-haul journey, which is why faith and hope and love are so critical. Yet we are so fast-paced in this world. Everything is quick. Everything is microwavable. It, and we expect transformation to be the same way. And most people grow impatient after a few brief moments. And very few people are committed enough to dig in and remain long enough for true transformation to take place. But as a church, we're positioned to follow God's design. In fact, something we've looked at in the past as a church is goes kind of go back to a farming metaphor, but the reality that God has a structure in place for how things happen. It goes back to the reality that you can buy a field, but then it's to plow it, plant, water, weed, and then harvest. There is a sequence. This is God's design. It's how things work. But too often we want to buy and then harvest, buy and then harvest, invest and harvest, invest and harvest. And that's not how it works. 
And as a church right now, we're in a season of investing over this, this entire journey to see harvest. We're seeing God do cool things. We're seeing life change. But there's so much more to come, and he is preparing us as we're faithful in this journey to buy, plow, plant, water, weed, to see a harvest like no other before. But too often, the power of the gospel, the impact of it, the hope that it brings is diminished because we quit too early. We let circumstances take over. We let those circumstances write what love should be writing. However, as this quote reminds us, listen, check this out. Most of the important things in the world have been accomplished by people who have kept on trying when there seemed to be no hope at all. When you think about the things that have happened in this world, it's those that have remained that have been able to see the harvest. So whatever you're facing today, don't quit. Don't give up. Don't give up hope. Keep investing. Keep praying. Consistency breaks down resistance. And those who remain... Those who stay in a community, those who stay in a relationship the longest, they see the harvest. Don't quit. Don't quit. When I was growing up, one of my best friend growing up, we did everything together. We went to church together. We played together, rode bikes together. We played war. We had BB gun wars and got in trouble for that. I mean, we did everything together. We were tight. But as we hit high school, we, start, we, had, we started making different decisions than we had. My, my friend started diverging from the path that we had been on. He made, we started making decisions that I couldn't step with him in broke my heart, had, had genuine loving conversations with him, inviting him back to things of God, and, and he just continued down a different path. It, it rocked me. But I made a commitment then to begin to pray for him. And, and, and many times it was a daily thing. At least once a week, if not daily, I prayed for him. Over time, without social media, we began to lose contact. And it was a decade later, more than a decade later, actually, that we finally reconnected again. I had still been praying for them. when I sat across from him and began to talk with him about what had happened in the last 10 years of his life, I was filled to overflowing with joy because he had come back to God. He had rededicated his life to Jesus. He was an elder in his church. He had a family. He was stepping in the right direction. He was, he was living out of a place of hope and not despair. Now, I'm not bold enough or arrogant enough to think that it was just my prayers that influenced that, but I do know that God answers prayer. And those who remain and can persist and remain faithful to investing can see a harvest. And whatever you're facing today, don't quit. Don't quit investing. Don't quit praying. Remain faithful. Let's move this into a quick so what reality. Just for the sake of time, I'm just going to run down through these three, three things. I want to invite you into a process of pursuing this. If you're like, you know, God, I want more in my life. I want to live out of the place of hope that you have. I want to be a source of overflowing hope. Here's what I encourage you to consider doing. First is to go to those without hope. Go to those without hope. We can't stay unto ourselves. We can't keep doing what we've always been doing. We've got to go into mean streets among hurting people. Those people may be on your block, in your workspace. But go to those without hope. Second thing is to be an agent of hope. <laughs> be a dealer in hope, man. <laughs> be, a, be an agent of hope. That it never has to run out <laughs> because it doesn't come from us. It comes from him, the God of hope. So be generous and liberal with, with, with passing that hope. He is generous and, and faithful to give. So, so give liberally. Empower others to live in the same hope and love and faith that you have experienced. Be an agent of hope. Go get out there and deal in hope, man. Be a, be a dealer. That's not the only context I'll ever tell you to be a dealer. Okay, third, 
Love with expectant hope. Love with expectant hope. Do it with great expectancy. Jesus, listen, just because something has not yet happened, just because something is not yet realized, does not mean it never will be. Not yet is not the same as never will. So go be love. In the circumstances, in the places where those circumstances are shaping what love should be defining, go be love in your world. You're there for a purpose. You're not there by accident. I know too many of us run from discomfort. We run from sacrifice. We, we run from what we see as just bricks. And we think that if it's hard, it's bad. But listen, Jesus asked us to do hard things. I was looking at my devotions. I was hanging with God earlier this past week, and I was reading Oswald Chambers, and, and he said, look, Jesus asked us to do hard things, and basically said, if, if you've never heard Jesus ask you to do some, a hard thing, I question whether you've ever heard him at all. Jesus asked us to do hard things. And, and this weekend is an opportunity to, for us to take another step into obedience and doing hard things. In fact, as you go today, there'll be sign-ups in each of our lobbies at each of our locations to, to, get, to begin to engage and serve. It could be at the Jefferson School Pantry in West Davenport, an opportunity to just love and serve the kids within that context. Maybe you'll sign up and engage in our jail ministries, or maybe you'll work with families in crisis through safe families. Or perhaps you'll sign up to be part of one of the Second Gap Ministries at Esperanza Center. In fact, let me just tell you one of those realities. As we've walked through our, our listening conversations, because we want to make sure that we're, we're helping and not hurting in what we do there, we know that as, as students have been pushed or sent to other schools, and parents still need to get to, to work, and, and there is a school bus, how do, how do people get to the new schools? There is a reality to need to get some kind of transportation as well as having a school bus location. And we're able through the conversation with Metrolink to provide within our space a bus stop so that parents who need to get to work and need to have their kids dropped off well before the bus arrives don't have to leave them on the side of the street. But they can be dropped in the context of our property. We can provide a safe context. We can love on those kids, make sure they get on the bus and send them to school. We identified a gap and we're building a bridge over that second gap in that specific ministry. Yeah. Now listen. We need people who are willing to get up early and come down there and be part of that. So maybe you're going to sign up to do that. But listen, that's just one way to go be love. But the first thing is just to sign up, to get out there. We get to do this stuff. We get to be part of joining a holy God in the work that he's already doing. We get to be agents of hope, but that takes time and that takes sacrifice, that takes investment. But it's worth it and it matters and it ripples into generations. Just consider what the psalmist said. He wrote this. He said, the, the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and, and, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. These ministries, the opportunity to build second gap bridges, all of this ripples into generations, and we have the privilege of being part of joining God in it. So here's the deal. Next week, we're going to wrap up the series. And, and if... If you have heard from the Lord already, because I had started week one, I asked you to go talk to God, see what you want you to do. If you've heard from the Lord already, you know what he wants you to do as far as coming alongside our faith promise commitment, I want you to go ahead and declare that. Use the card, get online, declare the faith promise commitment. That, you declaring allows us to know how fully we can lean in, how quickly we can lean into each of the things that God is calling us into this year. If you don't yet know what God is asking you to do, then I just ask you to go and talk to him about it. Pray. Talk to God and see what he does. There's no arm twisting. There's no pressure. There's no pleading in this. I, I simply am asking you to talk to God. Ask him, what do you want me to do? 
And whatever he says, do that. Just do that. It's simply an invitation to step into all that he has for us as a church. We get to go be love. And we get to, part, we get to be part of seeing whole families, whole cities, whole communities transformed as we go as agents of love and agents of hope. So let's go be loved together. And let's take a moment to pray as we step back into worship. Father, I thank you for the chance to gather. Um, there's something you do different when your people gather and worship. And as we study your word, you speak. And I love it. I pray that your Holy Spirit would continue to work and move in this space, Father. I pray that you would help us, each of my brothers and sisters, to stand in the midst of circumstances and to choose faith and trust that leads to hope rather than fear that leads to despair. Help us to fix our eyes on you. Help us to see where you're already at work so we can join you in that. And I can't wait to see how you work and move through us as a people to transform these cities. I know you want to start with the individual. So if there's someone here today who has not yet reconciled a relationship with you, they're spiritually unresolved, I pray that, that you would communicate your love and in this space right now, they'd have a conversation with you about that. But for those who already know your son, may we live boldly and courageously. May we go to those without hope. May, may we be agents of hope and may we love with expectant hope as your people. I love you. I, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.